So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and I've got an exceptional uh, little treat for you guys today. With I'm here in the studio, or in my house, we'll call it, and I got my good friend, Nissan Mosri, with me, and I got to tell you, this guy, I've known him for almost... I want to say going on seven or eight years now, and um, he was there when I first started my journey into the multifamily space, and he was well ahead of me, and so he's out there killing real estate. He does multifamily investing. He does, I'm, I'm pretty sure you do commercial too, don't you, Nissan? Yes. I mean, he's in the whole gamut of what I call the cash flow life, and he's living it. He's a true, true guy, um, genuine as it gets, and he's really good. I mean, Ninja good at raising private money. So I want to welcome my guest, Nisa Mosri. Hey, how are you, Corey? Oh, man, I'm doing good, buddy. Doing real good. So it's been a lot. It's been, um, well, we were actually just on your your show, which was a lot of fun, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, thanks for being on. Yeah. And it's funny how, you know, like when you come in and we go into like seasons of investing, right? There's times where you like hit the gas really hard, and there's times where you know, it's not so much. But um, you know, right now we're both kind of in a really nice zone. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been getting a lot of your emails, and I've seen all your different property that you've been working on, closing on. And you know, one thing I like about this business is seeing my colleagues, my friends like you and, and other people, actually succeeding in the business and creating a life, a lifestyle that they can pass on to their children, to their spouses, you know, anybody that we feel that we want to leave it to. Yeah. It's it's been a beautiful thing. On your show, you talk about being a traveler, right? Absolutely. Explain how you come with that concept because I love it. Well, you know, uh, before I moved back to the U.S., uh, I had been out of the country for about 15 years. And uh, I left in 1997 after my father passed away. And I went to Israel and I hung out on the beach in Tel Aviv for about a year, just decompressing, trying to figure out what life is all about. Uh, a friend of mine asked me to, uh, if you want, you know, if I wanted to go to India with him, because he was going for two months, you know, taking off on, uh, uh, off from work. I said, sure. I said, a beach here or a beach in India, it's same for me. So we went, we started traveling, and I continued traveling for about six years. Oh, just a little bit, right? Right, just a little bit. He came back to Israel after two months, had to go back to work, and uh, I continued. 
And while traveling, I met my wife. Uh, we were both in Portugal at the same time. And we got together. We had two beautiful daughters. We were living in Israel before. And then we decided to come back to the States in 2009. So I love to travel. And it's always been hard for me to sit in an office behind a desk, especially when I've got a beautiful window looking on outside at the rest of the world, kind of just passing by while I'm, you know, making somebody else wealthier. Yeah. So I was traveling and throughout my travels, I met amazing people. I met some crappy people too, but I met more amazing people. Uh, the experiences I had while traveling really opened my eyes and, and made me see what life is all about, you know, what we're here for, right? We're here to make our, you know, environment, our world, our universe yeah. better than when we came into it, you know? Oh, and sure. that's kind of one of the missions of our company is that we want to give back to our residents and to our investors to make their lives better. And that's what we live by. You know, no. so I love to travel and the traveling investor came about, you know, I wanted to do a radio show that I could broadcast from anywhere in the world. Hey, and let's, and plug, my, that, let's plug that radio show right now. So, so go ahead, go ahead, give, give it a shameless plug, man. Let's tell everybody about it. Awesome. So it's called the traveling investor show. It's live every Thursday, 1 PM Eastern. You can either download the app. Or you can listen live over the internet. It's an internet radio station. Uh, and it's uh, W4CYradio.com. Cool. Actually, the best, uh, the best login to do it is W4CY.com. That will okay. take you direct into the, uh, into the radio show. Okay. So it's live every Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern. And I've got guests like you. Other successful people from all different, you know, areas of real estate. Yeah. And we talk. Uh, yeah. And we get to know. Yeah, we get to know each other. Yeah, exactly. So that was, I really enjoyed it. And so hey, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes too, so people can just have a quick link to it when they, when they want to. Now, what a lot of people know, like if they're watching this, they're going to see Nissan with short hair. But that's not how I know him. Because on those six years of travel... My friend had a great mane that he used to carry, which was part of the ritual of seeing Nizan. And, right. so, and uh, let's talk about that. But I also want to talk about what you did and why you cut it off, because it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I think so, you were uh, in tears when I, if, if, I, if my memory serves me correct. I was, I was. It was uh, tears of sadness at that time but they kind of turned into tears of happiness and joy because of what we did, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's huge. So uh, I, you know, while traveling, I let my hair loose, right? I decided not to cut it. And I grew a long ponytail, and then I locked up my hair, and I had dreadlocks well way below my butt. Yes. And it took me about 10 years to grow. It was awesome. It's <laughs> awesome. And so I still have it. It's behind me in the closet. Oh, right on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> now but you did something there was a uh, fundraiser that you decided you wanted to get behind and us we'll talk about that and we'll talk about real estate because this is more important of who you are i think sure the kind of guy you are so i decided that you know uh, one of our mentors david lindahl uh he was very big into the wounded warrior foundation organization you know and they help 
our servicemen and women who come back with PTSD, with, you know, loss of limbs, loss of, you know, whatever that goes on when you're in the battlefield. So uh, it kind of hit me home, you know, since I was part of the Israeli Defense Forces as well. And uh, at one of Dave's events, I put it out to the audience that if we raise $10,000, I would cut my hair and we would donate the funds to the Wounded Warrior Foundation. And the night that, the Friday night that, it, that the conference began, I hadn't raised the money yet. I was kind of relieved. <laughs> I didn't have to cut it. And I met one of our investors at the bar before the event. And he asked me the question, did you raise the money? I said, no, and I'm okay with it. He said, you know what? I think you look great with short hair. I think you're doing a great thing. I'm going to donate the 10 grand. So when we were up there and he cut the hair, he said, I'm going to give the 10, but I'm going to add another five. So he brought in 15. And there were a few more people from the audience that were thrown in 1,000, 500, 1,500. So I think we got up to a total of $20,000 that we, that we donated to the Wounded Warrior Foundation. $20,000 piece of hair, Nissan. Yeah, that's right. My hair sold for more than Willie Nelson's braids. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, but, but you know what? You know what? It has to do with the people that we're involved in, right? The caliber of people, the level of people that understand that are giving more of themselves than what they ask for in return. You know, that's why we were able to raise almost $20,000 and donate it to an organization that just gives back. Yeah. So I commend the people that were there in the audience as well that supported me, like you and your wife and, you know, all, all our friends and family that really supported the, the cutting of my hair. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. I remember. I remember. It was like, it was like, I would almost say it was almost spiritual in a way for you too. Like, because that was a big part of who Nissan was. That traveler, right? Right. That and now and now it all really can now like talking now it like comes full circles. I think about your show and it was that represents everything of still who you are, really, right? But that was like maybe the physical of showing right. that to people. Like I'm a traveler, man. I'm I, you a know, yeah. A nomadic, no matter what. I, I you know, I'm but I'm out and I'm doing my life and I'm doing it like open, right? Right. I don't want to be stuck. And so you know, somebody, somebody once told me, someone asked me and they said, do you actually think you're going to be able to be successful with that hair? So my response to him was, if you don't want to do business with me because I have long hair and I don't want to do business with you. Amen. If you're that short-sighted, if you're that short-sighted that you can't get past that, we can't do business together. Oh, uh, yeah, you're out <laughs> immediately, right? That's it. That's it. You know, and let's, so that brings up a good segue to the thing of, of like, getting into real estate. And, and as we raise private capital of who can be in your deals and who can't be in your deals and, and things of that nature. But let's talk about your journey. Let's, like, kind of give me a little of who Nissan was before, during, and who you are now. I think that's that's a really neat story. Sure. Experience. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was born... In Brooklyn, New York. I'm a Brooklyn boy, raised in, in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. You know, I was raised by uh, two entrepreneurial parents um, that never graduated high school. Right? My mother was, uh, my mother is a survivor of the Holocaust. Right. My father was born in the 20s. 
in Israel. So by the time he was 13, 14, he was already out of school and he was working and he was fighting, you know, doing all those things that uh, a country that's being born, you know, that, that's what they ask for you to do. Yep. So they never really had a college education or a high school education or formal education, but they understood that you go out and you build something for yourself. You don't build right. anything for anybody else, right? My mother had her own uh, needlepoint and knitting store. My father had his own businesses, you know, clothing stores. And, you know, we call them the schmata stores, right? The little rag stores, you know, anywhere yeah. from bubble gum to underwear to jeans to pots and pans, whatever you can imagine, all right. in, in one roof. But he did it for himself and for his family. And we were always brought up with the, with the idea that there's two types of people in this world. Those that pay rent and those that collect rent. And kids, you always want to collect. That's the kind of mentality that we, we grew up with. Um, you know, born and raised in New York, worked in the family business. Uh, we bought commercial real estate in New York. I worked from, you know, collecting the garbage and dumping it to building the walls, to demolition, to leasing up commercial spaces, to collecting rent, to doing all that kind of stuff. I got firsthand yeah, front row uh, knowledge. Front row seat, yeah. right? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's what better seat could you ever want is like, I mean, I'm, I've got a, my daughter's 13 and I'm like, hey, daughter, we are starting right now to start really working on, hey, this is the business. And if it's right. a family business, if you want it, and I'm still let them do, you know, have the creative control, do whatever they want. But the goal is if they're interested, whether or not they're interested, they're going to learn the family business. Exactly. Right. <laughs> You know, it's funny, my, my wife uh, one day asked my oldest daughter, she says, so um, do you want to do what daddy does when you grow up? She goes, no, mommy, I'm an artist. I'm going to do art, but I'm going to marry someone who does what daddy does. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, and, we, and you didn't even mention it because your wife is an artist. I mean, she is straight up. Yeah, that is, and she has amazing stuff too. Yes, yes, she does. So, so you had a first round, your first hand view of growing up, kind of in the business, and then, and then obviously you probably started doing your own stuff along the way. Correct. And then, right. and then we met, and I maybe jumping the story here. So I'll, I'll let you continue telling it because I don't want, I don't want to screw it up. Well, I mean, you know, to make a long story short, grew up in New York, went to college in New York. I didn't graduate university. I missed like a couple of classes, but I never felt. You know, what am I going to use that for? I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm not going to be a doctor. Yeah, it, it wasn't my thing. I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know exactly where. You know, maybe uh, in hindsight, I should have maybe learned international business or something of that nature. But um, so I went to college. And then when I was 25, my father passed away. And I kind of started asking the question, what's it all about? Right? Yeah. Here's a guy that from the age of eight years old worked until the day he died, right? He built his family something. And he traveled the world with my mother and they went to beautiful places. But what was it all about? So I kind of said, you know what? I had enough. At that time, I was working for Lehman Brothers in New York while they were still alive. And I just didn't understand what, why we were doing all this. So I right. sold my portfolio. I got rid of my apartment and I moved to Israel. I moved to Israel. I hung out for about a year in Tel Aviv. And then the story is my friend told me he was going. And I kind of traveled the world. In the beginning, I was traveling to search for myself, to see who I was, what I wanted. And I got smacked in the face a couple of times, you know, realizing that 
what I was taught to believe was just that. It was somebody teaching you. It wasn't my beliefs. Right. It wasn't me. You had to, go find, had to, right. you had to go find Nissan. Right. What do I like? Yeah. Do I like eggs in the morning or do I like a salad in the morning? Right. Do I really want to eat steak or was that just shoved into my mouth all my entire life? You know, am I vegetarian or do I really want to eat meat? Right. Do I believe in religion? Am I Jewish? Do I believe in Buddhism and Christianity? You know, all those questions, right? Yeah. And uh, I spent a lot of time in different ashrams in India and in Thailand. I meditated a lot. I sat with myself a lot. Many times I found myself on top of a mountain, just looking off into the fields and just trying to, oh, not trying, out. but just time being out. with myself. Time out. I want to like, that's an exclamation point, right? So many times in life, in my life too, when you put yourself in a moment to be still, right? right? And to truly be still and to just take it in. I mean, sometimes I, 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 was in, I just traveled to, um, I was in St. Kitts. And in St. Kitts, there's a spot where you can get up on top and you kind of see the uh, Pacific and the Gulf, right? Mm -hmm. The same kind of... Or, Way one knows one side and the other side, the Atlantic and the Gulf, right? And so, but it was really cool. And then, but you're in this majestic spot, and I'm like, I need to be still for a minute, absolutely, and just and take it in, and then like, and experience it. Correct. And most people don't. No, they, no. they go most from people are too busy. Boom. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a you damn need way to, learn to be still. It's a damn way to be still to listen to the wind to feel the wind, how it feels blowing on your face, how the sun feels on your face. Yes. You know, the thoughts that come up in, in your mind and how to just release them and not Let get attached to them. Let it stir your heart, right? Because it brings Absolutely. up an, an emotional, whatever's inside us as humans, I think yearns for that moment so it can express emotion and, and it sometimes it covers things that you didn't even know were there. Absolutely. You know, and, and then you got to pay attention and listen to it, but you got to be still to do it. You got to be still, you know, we, we can equate ourselves to trees. Trees have strong roots. They don't move. They stand in one place and they extend upward to the heavens to receive all that energy. So now they're getting the energy from the top and from the ground and it all just meets in the middle. So that's kind of how we need to visualize it. We yeah. need to ground ourselves. We need to you know, plant roots. Now, you can plant roots and still travel the world. Amen. Right? That's the beautiful thing about being a human being. We can plant roots. We can have strong roots, but yet we can go out and we can fly. Right? But we got to have those roots. We got to have those roots to be able to go up and into the sky. And, you know, the deeper the roots, the higher we can fly. Yeah. Amen. So you find yourself and then... And you came back, came back, and then is that when you really, because I know you've, you own a successful brokerage um, as well. I mean, you, you, you're you not just a one-trick pony. You've got lots of tools in the shed. Right. So in Israel, I opened up the first raw vegan restaurant of its kind. It was a hit. It was a success. And then after our second daughter was born, we decided to move back to the States. And we moved back in 2009. So, and then I uh, got my broker's license. So I opened up a uh, boutique residential company. And then I opened up with a partner of mine, a uh, Remax commercial franchise, where it's just commercial. Plus, I met Laura, my business partner. Yep. And we opened up Cornerstone, which is the acquisition leg 
that buys and sells apartment buildings, hotels, marinas, things of that nature. Right? Just everything, yeah, yeah. Everything and, real estate. Yeah. And so let's talk what like so for all my listeners, I know there always there's lots of people where this is a how to podcast, like and, and really not only just a how to but a why to multifamily, right? I like talking about the why. I like talking about the reason, like you being on the journey, what it allows, the freedom that multifamily allows. But if there was a couple tips on like, hey, I'm starting out new. What would you What would you say? Like some things that like here's some a good couple pointers. Well, if you're starting out new and real estate is a new field for you, read as much as you can. Right, educate yourself. Educate yourself on all the different types of real estate opportunities that exist, right? Because it's not just one. We've got single family. In the single family, you've got low income, middle income. You've got high end. You've got luxury, right? Yep. And you've got tax deeds, tax certificates. You've got foreclosures. You've got short sales, right? Then if you want to move into commercial, you've got apartment buildings, hotels, self-storage. What else we got? Office Restaurants, space. triple... Yeah. Office yeah. space, triple net deals, right? Shopping malls, vacant land, agricultural land. So educate yourself on all that so you can pinpoint the one shiny penny you're going to run after, right? Because when we start in real estate, oh, wow, look, maybe I can flip that house. Oh, maybe I can put that apartment building under contract. Ooh, that, that self-storage looks pretty great. If you, you know, go out too thin, you're never going to get anything done. You're never going to master a subject. I agree. Exactly. Exactly. So educate yourself on everything that's out there and then pick one, right? Pick one and then become the expert. Become the man, the woman, the machine, right? And as as I've heard a lot of times told to me, I'm not in the real estate business. I'm a marketing machine and my product is real estate, right? Yeah. Especially like, you know, even in multifamily, right? Or commercial. Right? We're marketing ourselves to brokers and to owners of properties so that we can get these properties under contract. Yep. Then we're marketing ourselves to our network of people and new investors so that we can raise the capital for it. So we're always marketing, even in residential, we're marketing, marketing for buyers, marketing for sellers. So we're always marketing. So yep. once you figure it out what you want to do, figure out how you can market yourself and what you need. Right. Right. And the way I like to tell people to do it is make a list. It's called an inventory list, right? What I bring to the table. I bring money. I bring time. I bring expertise. I bring a network of people, you know, all that. Right. Then on the other side, right, what do I need, right? Like in multifamily, for example, when we're out buying and we're getting a mortgage, we need a sponsor, right? Right. Mm-hmm. We need a sponsor, someone who has the experience and the net worth if we don't have it. Right. Right. If we're starting out, we usually don't have it. Right. So we need, we need to find a sponsor. So on the list of what I need, we'll write sponsor. Exactly. Do I need earnest money deposit. I need money for the loan application. I need money for the equity portion, right? Right. And then you go out. Now you've got your list. This is what I need. Now this is what I need. Then you can go out and you can market for what you need. And this is called, I call this putting, it's like putting the puzzle together, right? Because that is the great thing about it. what I love about the commercial space and the apartment space is you don't have to have it all. And right. a lot of people, I think they get really discouraged. And maybe the reason they don't 
Um, you know, I know a lot of successful single family guys. And when I talk about mother, they're like, Oh, I can't do it. I don't have enough money. I don't have, I'm like, dude, smack <laughs> wrong answer. Right. Right. right question is to say how can i bring all these pieces together to make the deal and because a lot of times multifamily is a team sport oh absolutely not just the one guy i'm doing everything that's very rare sure you know my my partner laura she once put it in a great way she goes this business is like running 12 marathons at the same time and to be successful you have to cross the, the finish line with all 12 marathons at the same time I don't know about you, but I can't even run a half marathon, let alone 12 at the same time, right? right you know, right. figure, right? Yep. So, you know, you need, you, you need partners, right? You need people to, to talk about the deal, you know? What, what do you see about that? What do you see about this? What do you think about the due diligence? Do you think the uh, market comparables are where we want? Is it a safe bet? Is it too risky? It's always good to have other people around. Right. Do we get the so right capital? Do we have enough capital? Uh, I'm really good at raising capital. I'm not really, really, really good at raising capital, but I right. have other strengths. I mean, you, and when you put together a team and this is what I, sometimes when, it, when everybody's willing to do that, great things happen because you can do a deal. And a right. lot of things is it's not a marriage, right? The whole team is not married together. A lot of times, usually a couple of people are like, Hey, we're a partnership. Even then, like most of these deals are set up that it's a deal. So you package a deal and then the next deal could be a totally different package. Absolutely. That's right. You know, I, you may have a project that you're raising capital for, right? And I've just talked to my investors and they may have some money laying around that they want to invest, but we don't have a property in the contract right now. So I'll come to you and I'll say, hey, Corey, what are you working on? Well, I'm working on this. Great. Hey, let's team up. Because I got capital I can bring into this project, right? Yeah. Like, whatever it is. It happens. And then we team up and we, got, we take it to the, to the finish line. It happens all the time. And that's the, the one thing that I really want my listeners to understand is this is a team sport. And the more you get out and network with other people that are in the business, because there'll be times when you do get, when you get a bunch of capital, all of a sudden you got a guy who calls you and says, hey, I've got three friends and we all got, you know, a million plus to put to work. You're like, whoa, right? And if you don't have a deal right away, that capital is going to find a spot. Yeah. It's going to go bye-bye. It's going to fly away somewhere else. Yeah. And you want to be able to call your friend, the traveler, and say, hey, bro, do you got any deals, right? And he's like, well, maybe I don't, but I even know a guy that does, right? So then he's like, well, hold on. Let's see if we can all get this thing to run, run around and we all get a little piece. Why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my business partner in Remax, his family was actually the family that was responsible for the syndication of the Empire State Building with the Hemsleys. Oh, wow. So they did a syndication just like we do in multifamily, mm-hmm. right? You're right. They grouped a, a strong team <laughs> and then they went out with the team. Now, it's also important to have a really strong team. So when you're going out and you're raising capital and you're talking to the sellers, the brokers, your investors, right? If you're the lone wolf, everything is you, right? What's your track record? What's this? And people don't like to see a lone wolf, no. right? No. What happens if you get sick? What happens if you get into a car accident? What happens if the plane crashes? But if you put a strong team together, 
right? Here's my financial analysts. You know, she's got the double masters in economics from the university in France and the university of uh, Miami. Uh, my other partner on the team uh, has raised over $130 million for family offices, right? So he right. has a lot of knowledge in raising capital and putting properties under mar- on, on the contract, doing due diligence and so forth. Here's our SEC attorneys that have done X amount of deals. Now, when we come to a seller or to an investor and we say, hey, look at, look at the prowess of my team. Look at the power, right? We can't fail. We're going to do this with or without you. Are you on or are you off? Yes. That's a big, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and also it's like stacking the deck, right? Because like even when you're in front of a seller and you're trying to present your, your, your group as we're the group, because all the brokers, in my opinion, it's not with brokers, brokers just want to get paid a lot of times, right? Oh, of course. And, and in their mind, they're thinking, who is going to transact, right? right? And you're going to prove that when you say, Hey, here's my team. Here's everything that's going. And like, because I say this because the broker is the one that has the influence on the seller. And if you can get the broker to believe that he's going to get the paycheck from your group, you're going to lead him down the closing table and actually close. That's, that's worth its weight in gold. And you do that by having the team and all that stuff put together. I mean, that's a package and packages like that tend to get the ones that get accepted and you don't always have to be the highest bid. That's true. And, you know, I was on a, I was the, the KP, the key principal for a partnership that went out and they said, listen, we have a $24 million project on the contract. Well, we don't have it on the contract yet, but we're in the final and best with our LOI. Can you come and talk to the seller? Sure. We got on and I basically told the seller, I said, if you want to close this deal, you better go with us because we're the ones that are going to do whatever it takes to make it to the end. We're going to make sure it closes. And the other, team or the other buyers had more money. They had more earnest money deposit. But because of my confidence, because of the track record, because of the team that we had behind us, they went with us. That so doesn't go awesome. That like, that's, like, that's when you like, when you get there, you're like, you know what? That is the reason to build the team, right? Because man, it really does make, when it's done right. And I know you know how to do this because like, it, it is magical. It really it carries a lot more weight than you ever thought. And honestly, um, I always say in this business, real estate is a very lonely business at times. Mm-hmm. It can be. It can be yes. a very lonely business. Absolutely. But it's not so much, I think it's even lonelier in the single family business, right? Because in the multifamily, I, I always got team members or people that I'm communicating with on a, on a pretty regular basis, right? But there's times where it can be lonely. And so having a team, A, invigorates you to be better, sharper, more in like driving the bus. Absolutely. Right? Getting everybody's driving to do like, here's our goal. Let's get to it. Right. That's right. And, uh, That's right. and you know what? It's not only that, but sometimes you have days that you're just, the whole world seems like it's collapsing in on you. Yeah. Right. The investors didn't wire the money. in at the time that they said that they were the lender two hours before closing now says, Oh, we need these documents. You know, or just, you know, we have a colleague of ours that had a fire in the complex, right? If you don't have a team and, you know, you, that you can mobilize, that you can really talk to and have them lift you up or you lift them up when needed, it can be very lonely. It can be very, very difficult. Yeah. Very difficult. What would be um, money-wise, like any um, raising private money tips, 
what would you say, what would you give advice on if someone is out there trying to cultivate leads or people with money, um, what would you say to that? How would you speak to that? Well, right, right here in front of me, I have a sign on my wall that I look at when I'm at my computer and it's always there. And it says money comes easy if you do the hard thing, build relationships. Okay? And that kind of sums it up for money raising, right? People aren't going to give you their money. People are not going to open up their network to you if they don't like you or trust you or have a relationship with you, right? You also need to have a track record. So if you don't have a track record, it's okay. But that's why you want to have that team. Find someone that does. All right, you fall back on that track record. Yeah. You go out and you say, you know what? I'm not the guy. I'm just getting started but I was smart enough to put together a smoking team and look at their track record. And this is what we're doing, right? When you're starting out, tell everybody what you're doing, everybody, you know, and tell them how they can help you. If you're looking for someone that can, that needs to put up earnest money deposit, tell them that. If you're looking for partners that you want to help raise money, tell them that. If you're looking to meet brokers that have seller contacts, tell them that. Right? It's not just enough to say, hey, I'm getting involved in real estate. I'm starting to invest. Yippee for me. Yeah. Right? Well, and How people are not mind me? readers, right? People are not mind readers last time I checked. Right? Exactly. And, so you and can... people will, will always do what you ask them to, right? If you ask them nicely, hey, who do you know? Who do you know that would love to get involved in investing in commercial real estate, get that cash flow coming in, get the lion's share of the equity, you know, and have it secure by this huge building, right? And the cash flow that it's generating, right? People start thinking about that, right? And then yeah. they're going to say, well, you know, what do you know? Again, it's not me, it's the team, right? But it's right. building that relationship. And I always look to help people out in their life and their relationships and their business first before I ask them for anything. Now, obviously, I have a relationship with my friends 20, 30, 40 years. I call them up. Hey, dude, I got a great investment. We're working on this. I'm going to send it to you. Check it out. Let me know what you have, you know, what questions you have. That's my friends. Right. You know, and they always ask me, how much skin do you have in the game? Right. They always want to know if it's a great opportunity. How come you're not invested in it? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So when going out, go to all the networking events, talk to everybody and anybody, because the person that you're talking to may not be the person that's going to invest in your project, but they may know two or three other people that would. So if you help them out, if you do what's right by them, if you build that relationship and you're sincere about it, you find that commonality and you build on it, it will happen. You just said relationship three times and I've already underlined it because I believe the same thing, right? Is, Mm -hmm. and I, most people do not get this concept. I was just talking with a guy and, you know, he wants to get into the real estate. And he's a successful single family uh, guy. And um, he kind of just like, hey, well, I, I got this website set up. And I'm like, you know, that's really not how this raising private money is done. It's not done with a website, honestly. No. No. It's done with the guy that you know, <laughs> that he may know some people. Like, it is the old, like, just put out the spiders and start loving on people and telling everybody that you know. and then you start getting little hitbacks and then you start finding people and it always is about serving others and creating relationships. Mm -hmm. And the more you serve, the better you are become a better servant in helping them with whatever they need. It's such a reciprocal effect because 
people want to help you, and especially they feel obligated a lot of times if you help them first. That's right. You know? If you will do for others, um, so relationships, I'm, that's, I'm taking that one to the bank, get it? Because it really is the money game. The real money game is only about relationships. Sure. You know, I was in a family office conference in Miami and going to these conferences over and over again, you know, you might, sometimes people say, nah, I don't want to go there. What am I going to do? You know, I don't have the track record. I never meet anybody. I never raise any capital from it. It's, it takes time. Right? especially when you want to get into the big family offices. I got you know $500 million uh, assets under management, a billion dollars and whatnot, right? right. It's, it's a slow process of building that relationship. So I keep going to these conferences. And the last conference I was at, I was shaking maybe 70% of the people's hands that were there. Now, you know, a lot of the lenders came from New York and you know, um, hedge fund managers and whatnot. And this uh, conference, there was a lot of uh, Jewish... Uh, lenders and a lot of Jewish people. And I was, you know, being a member of the tribe, you know, I'm talking to all the guys, how are you? How are you? You know, we're, we're talking, we're talking. So the second day, this guy comes up to me, he goes, Hey, how are you? What's your name? I said, my name is Nitsan. He goes, hi, my name is Isaac. You know, I'm an Iranian Persian Jew. Um, you and I have to work together. Okay. Why? Who are you? He goes, I've seen you the last two days. You've been walking around and all my colleagues and all my business partners have been coming up to you and shaking your hand. So obviously, you know them. So I need to know you. Okay. Let's boom. do business together. Boom. Right? Just like boom, that. Boom, boom, boom. The more you go, the more people see, the more you build a relationship. And then one thing happened. And then another thing happened. And it happened. And it, and it just continues to happen. But you got to be out there. You know, you yeah, showing, up, showing up is 90% of the game, right? Showing up in putting out LOIs to sellers and to brokers, right? You got to show up doing that, right? Because if you're not showing up there, they don't know you're in the game. Right? Show up to the networking events, right? People want to see your face. Yeah, let's speak to that real quick. That's just something we've not talked about on my show yet, is when you submit the LOI, like why do we submit LOIs and why do we give brokers brokers feedback? So we put out LOIs first because we're interested in that property, right? We want to buy it. Secondly, we, we put out the LOIs to show the brokers, hey, there's another group that's coming out here that are buyers, right? We want yeah. to buy. If you never submit an LOI, how do they know that you're there? How do they know that you even exist, right? And a lot of times, I put out LOIs I know, that I know aren't going to get accepted because my numbers and their numbers are just too far apart. But I submit it anyway to let the broker know that I'm a serious player. I'm actively then, trying to purchase stuff, yes. Absolutely, right. And then I go and I talk to the broker and I say, all right, let's, let's see where you are compared to where I am. Why is there such a huge discrepancy? You're right. That also gives the broker in their mind, wow, they're really serious. They want to know how, they, yeah. how, how we can adjust our numbers. What do we need to do to, to make this happen for us? Yeah, and that you actually underwrote the deal because, I mean, brokers, they hear this all the time from everybody like, oh, they're just blowing smoke, right? But if right. you could say, well, no, here's, no, here's my numbers. Here's why. You've got it written like this, and that's not how we're seeing it. And he's like, oh, well, you know, I was – and then usually that's when they, they'll admit to maybe they made a little pro forma <laughs> adjustment um, based on some, you know, ask guess. Right. And it's, uh, then you're bringing them to reality. They're like, well, as, and, but they will look at you differently from that, won't they? Absolutely. 
and that they will see you as someone who knows the market, who knows the market, who knows the industry, who understands due diligence, right? And someone that they can't blow smoke over. Amen to that, brother. Right. That is the essence of like becoming and getting into the business. Because, man, there's so many ways to get into it. And there's actually so many avenues. We just talked about a whole bunch of them. Um, I think we're getting closer. We've been, I don't know how much time we've got, but we've, I feel like we've been on this thing for a while. So we'll go ahead and uh, maybe kind of close the show down out here. But is there any last piece of advice, something that you really want to give uh, the audience that you just want to put out there? Yes. It doesn't matter what part of real estate you get involved in. Okay. Um, two things. Look at passive residual income as a goal. Okay. The second thing is never, ever, ever quit. Because the minute you quit, you are not successful. The journey is what makes you successful. It's not the destination. Well said, my friend. Well said. Uh, with that, uh, where can everybody find you, Nissan? Uh, you can find me at w4cy.com as a traveling investor. Uh, my website for my investments is www.investwithcip.com. And that stands for Cornerstone Investment Partners. And my email is Nitsan. N-I-Z-A-N at investwithcip.com. Beautiful, brother. And you can check uh, my Facebook page, The Traveling Investor, you know, and um, my, my shows, after they're recorded, they go uh, and they get transposed as a podcast on iHeartRadio. So you can go on iHeart.com, podcasts, look for The Traveling Investor Show, and you can listen to all my other shows and you can listen to Corey as well. Rock and roll, brother. Hey man, Nissan again, dude. I just want to thank you so much for giving me your time. I know you're busy, but man, there you have it. Another wonderful episode of the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. Giving it to you real. And remember this, just like Nissan said, don't ever quit. And the journey is the reward. You guys have a wonderful day. Thanks, bro. Thanks. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me.